0: Hello Man fans, Ollie Man here with season four of The Modern Man. We are back, back, back in your ears once again. It's an absolute pleasure to be here. Uh, The good news is we are going to be doing three seasons this year. That is 30 episodes, 10 more than last year. Um, So please do tell your friends about the show. Now is the time to get some momentum behind us. Leave us a review on iTunes, spread the word. Um, And actually, if you have any ideas for people I could interview... Don't be shy to get in touch about that either... I mean, if you listen to the show, you'll know the kind of thing that we love to make. Chats with amazing individuals, surprising stories, real-life experiences, basically, that listeners can learn from. So if you know someone entertaining and honest who'd be up for talking to me face-to-face in a proper sit-down interview, theoretically anywhere in the world, although uh, the travel budget is somewhat beer-money-dependent, obviously, um, perhaps you are that someone or you know that someone, uh, yeah, let us know, because at the moment, our forward planning team is <laughs> me and uh Matt, the producer, occasionally chatting about stuff we're interested in and then trying to make it happen whilst we juggle all the other things we do. Uh, so if you have an idea, I mean we may not think it's a good idea, but it's always worth running past us. Uh do visit our website modernman with two ns.co.uk and click feedback. Um this week's interview is an absolute corker. It is exactly the kind of story that I love to tell on this show. It's the kind of story we establish this podcast so that we can tell. Uh, it is a chat with a young chap called James, who at the age of 21 started up his own business and convinced investors that he was the next big thing. But it's not your standard fast company style aspirational startup story. It is truly a tale of twists and turns. It, it's a bit like Wolf of Wall Street, if Wolf of Wall Street was set at the Yorkshire Association of Business Angels. It it reminds me a bit of I Was a Teenage Rockstar, which was uh, an episode you may remember from season one, one of my favourites actually. Uh, So if you liked that, then hopefully like me, uh, you will find this fascinating. Uh, Also on the show today, you'll learn how to use your iPhone as a contraceptive device, how many fortune cookies you need right to make a living, and whether you need to see a psychosexual somatic therapist. Let's go.
2: On this week's Modern Man. The business was fundamentally flawed. We weren't solving a real problem. There was no business model there. Why business advisors are often the very people
0: whose advice you should ignore.
1: And of course, the longer that scenario continues, the more the pressure intensifies.
0: And Alex Fox comes to the aid of a 43-year-old virgin. But first, it's the Zeitgeist, and with all the trends your brain will thank you for, it's Ollie Pitt. Hello, Ollie. Hello, Ollie. What has been going down this week?
3: Wavy gums. <laughs> what did you just say? Wavy gums. What's that? When I was a teenager, clothing wise, I used to just buy whatever I could afford. Baggy jeans, skate shoes.
0: I mean your fashion style's really evolved now. It hasn't changed much. My god, you're sophisticated now.
3: The jeans are slightly tighter. <laughs> around the uh, crotchal regions, but yes. apart from that, it's essentially the same.
0: And to be clear, that's because you've got a pot belly, not because your penis got enormous.
3: What has happened now, if you look around and you look at teenagers, they are incredibly fashionable. They are superbly sharply dressed.
0: But I guess everyone is slightly more fashionable than they were 20 years ago because of fast
3: fashion, cheap fashion, the internet. Well, it's more than that. It's down to wavy garms. So Wavy Garms is street slang for cool clothes. Right. Yeah, Wavy Garms. Okay. It's wavy. Yeah, yeah, okay. Basically, it's a Facebook group that was set up by this chap that wanted to create a place where him and his mates could swap clothes. And now it has 70,000 members where people go and buy and sell second-hand vintage clothes, like cool urban streetwear.
0: Okay, but then how do teenagers afford it?
3: it? Well... They vary in price from like a quid to like 10,000 quid. They're like, there's some really expensive stuff on there, which is ridiculous. So you can find a bargain if you look around, but because it's a closed group, sort of what you put on there has to be sort of almost approved by them. So if you remember, you can, right. put, you can put stuff on But if you put something on there that's not cool or just deemed uncool... Don't look at me
0: when you say this. Anything I put on there would be so cool they wouldn't even know what to do with it. That
3: scarf is highly suspect. And you're wearing it indoors.
0: Uh, This is a snood, and (laughs) I get compliments for it on the street.
3: So I've tried to join... And they haven't accepted me yet, and there's a waiting list of over 7,000 people at the moment.
0: So are they looking at your age, do you think? Probably. Probably I'm are. 31, yeah. so
3: they're probably going, oh, he's a bit old yeah. now. And I don't think i fit in, though, honestly, because the way they describe themselves, check this out, it's like, they say on, on their Facebook page, the only spot to cop the rarest, the latest, the oldest, the boldest, coldest, hardest, meanest, cleanest, duttiest, most righteous bits of clothing money can buy.
0: Duttiest?
3: Yep, so that's why I'm probably outside of their demographic. But these guys are the reason, or part of the reason, that teenagers just look so flippin' sharp, man.
0: Okay, so what you're saying is the trend that perhaps people of my age haven't noticed is, mm-hmm. is that the reason that you might see younger people looking sharper than we did in our day, even though they are wearing, in fact our clothes 20 years later is because they're trading them with each other through closed Facebook groups. So there's a whole world of stuff going on we don't know about. Exactly, yeah. Well, I may be old for wavy gums but I am smoking hot and young for the shops that I go to. When I walk into Edinburgh Woolen Mill, Ollie, (laughs) (laughs) let's (coughs) talk about your other trend for the week. Condoms. Condoms, okay.
3: Forget them. Thing of the past, Ollie. I'd like to add a caveat in there though in respect of sexual health campaigners. Right. Do wear a condom because otherwise you'll get STIs and you'll have a spotty cock. Correct. Um, but don't because what? A contraceptive app.
0: How it does it work? You don't put your smartphone up your snatch.
3: No. So this is how it works. You need the app, which is called Natural Cycles. Okay, uh, so this is for the ladies. This is for the ladies, right? Okay. And what it does is it. Uh, you, you need a thermometer. You don't need just a thermometer. You need a two-decimal basal thermometer. And you take your temperature in the morning and you enter it in sleep. Orally. The- yep. Or up the bum's the same thing, isn't no, it? No, it's but not.
0: It's probably not. I think there's probably a precise answer to that.
3: It does. It does. No, I reckon... Just say yes. Yes, but, right. So you take your temperature and then you enter it into the app and it's got an incredible algorithm and I don't understand how it works and I can't figure it out that will tell you whether or not you're uh, fertile or not, meaning it will give you what they call a red day or a green day. On a green day, you can have unprotected sex and you won't get pregnant. On a red day, you can't.
0: Okay. You see it's interesting. I mean I'd feel comfortable with my wife and I'd use the example of my wife to discount the STI's problem, hopefully. <laughs> I would be comfortable with my wife using an app like that to tell us when we're fertile and therefore more likely to get pregnant if the aim is to get pregnant. Yeah. But if the aim is to avoid pregnancy, if it's wrong, you wouldn't be like, "Oh yeah, but the app said it was fine." It's just not worth it, is it?
3: Well, this is it. So I kind of one of the biggest questions is whether or not you trust it, right? And I thought, "Well, I don't think I would, no. but... Because it's got I'm to be based gonna, on average
0: I'm, body cycles, and you might not be average. You wouldn't know that until you're up the duff again. Well,
3: there's the, yeah, there's so many things that could potentially sort of uh, throw it off, if you like. And, but they say that the algorithm, uh, it, it can calculate and, ca- and account for those kinds of things. And out of a 1,000 women using it over an extended period, only five will get pregnant. Now, I thought that was awful. I was thinking, that's dreadful. But that is better than condoms. That is also better and more efficient than the pill. So it's better. Yeah,
0: but if you use the app yeah. and then had sex with a condom on a day <laughs> when you were okay to have sex, yeah, then you've got the double uh, support there. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's so, how to do it.
3: So I thought I would ask so I asked my other half if she would trust it. She was like, absolutely no way on yeah, earth. Do not want to give birth to your child. Definitely not. Yeah, a little version of you running around. Um, oh, uh, have you heard about the latest toy trends? <laughs> <laughs> and I, uh, I asked around a few mates as well and most of them, in fact, Not most of them, all of them said, absolutely no way would I trust that. I do actually quite like the idea, though.
0: Uh, What's your third and final trend for the week?
3: Fortune cookies.
0: That's not a new thing.
3: A guy called Donald Lau, who was America's top fortune cookie fortune writer, has quit. Oh, wow. Yeah, he was chief fortune writer at Wanton Foods. Brilliant.
0: I love that that's someone's job. Is the job available? Are they hiring?
3: Actually, they didn't specify, but I suppose so. You've got to be good though, because he, when at his peak, he said that he used to write a hundred a year. And That's then, not many. Do you think it, you could? Yes, Bearing in I, mind yes, they're all for quite... money,
0: I could write one fortune cookie a day, easy for, th-
3: for thirty years.
0: Yeah, I mean most of them are just bollocks, aren't they? They're just a random collection of words, really. <laughs> you know. Work hard this year and you shall find yourself rewarded in more ways than one. There you go. I wrote that spontaneously.
3: But he's quick because of writer's block, so he couldn't think of any more. He did have some success, though, mind, right? So one of them... He uh, wrote down some lucky numbers. Don't tell
0: me someone won the lottery with those numbers.
3: No, someone didn't. 110 people won the lottery with those numbers. Oh, well. And they won, between them, $19 million.
0: Because the fortune cookie was mass-produced. So actually, you'd mm-hmm. have been better off not playing those numbers when you got the fortune cookie because you'd be more likely to win more if you did win with some other randomly chosen numbers.
3: But I thought that this would be a good opportunity for us to play a game. Excellent. I've called it Real of Fortune. Right. you got to guess. Yeah. If it's a real fortune or one I've made up. Okay. Yeah?
0: Yeah, I mean, it's not going to make its way to uh, ITV, but, you know, challenge TV off Pete. you never know.
3: Okay, you ready? I'm going to go straight in with the first one. Today is a disastrous day. If you can't beat them, join them.
0: And I'm tasked with telling you whether that's an actual fortune you could read in a cookie or whether you made it up.
3: Is it real or fake?
0: I think it's fake because I don't think anyone would want to a cookie to tell them that today was disastrous.
3: It's real. Really? It is real. Yeah. What about this one? Okay. It's over your head now. Time to get some professional help.
0: It's over your head now. Mhm. That doesn't sound wise and Chinese enough. That sounds a bit too British, so I'm going to say fake.
3: It's real. Huh. Next. Growing a moustache could change your life, for better. You're grinning. Or worse. It's obviously fake. It's, it's fake. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> next
0: one. You're a terrible liar. Uh, no,
3: no, but I'm normally really good at lying. Yeah, but
0: no, you managed to get the first two away. I thought they were fake.
3: <clears throat> you couldn't be less interesting, but you're going to keep trying, aren't you? <laughs>
0: Another alternative slogan for this piece. Uh, I. Unbelievable. (laughs) I'm going to say that that is fake as well. Again, it's too insulting for Fortune Cookie. It's real. Is it? It is real. No one wants to read that. What about this one? Run. Just the word run. Just the word run. Now, that I think is funny. I think that is real.
3: That is real. Yeah,
0: that's good. See, that's lighthearted. I would like to read that in a Chinese restaurant. It's amusing.
3: (laughs) Okay, okay. How about this one? Everyone you know wishes they hadn't met you. Avoid the following colours. Red, blue, green. Or any mixture of those.
0: <laughs> You're pissing yourself <laughs> laughing. You must have made that up. You're so proud of yourself.
3: No, <laughs> it's real. <Is> it? <laughs> <laughs> it's real.
0: <laughs> I've never seen these abusive fortune cookies before.
3: No, there's, I'm being a bit unfair, really. But, no, it was the same company. It was Wanton Foods, but they released a batch which just had these horrible things okay. in it. Just as a little test to see how people would receive them. Well, I'm
0: receiving in real time, and I'm telling you, bad. One more? Yeah, all right.
3: Next time, order the shrimp.
0: Well, I keep saying that you invented all of them, but I'm going to say that you invented that one. That one's fake. No, that's real. i am giving you loads of real ones. Oh, they're yeah, all real, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, that was time well spent, I felt. I think so. Uh, if you've got a trend you'd like to suggest for next week's Zeitgeist, then what should you do with it?
3: At The Modern Man.
0: On Twitter? Yeah. Maybe you could go on to Wavy Garms and find yourself an old fax machine.
3: There is a Twitter account that you can actually tweet, and it will fax the number of the White House. So why don't you find out what that is and tweet all your Zeitgeist suggestions to the White House?
0: I think everyone there is really up for something amusing. (laughs) Now, are you the next Mark Zuckerberg? I'll be honest, statistically, you're probably not. But you never know, somebody has to be. Why not somebody listening to this right now? Some bright young thing out there with the next big internet idea that is going to disrupt a major sector of our lives and revolutionize communication all over again. There's a lot of entrepreneur porn out there which suggests you could be that person. Memoirs, magazines, websites, all fetishizing the cult of the startup visionary and suggesting that if only you just read these few tips and probably get up at 5 a.m. every day, you could be a dot com billionaire too if you're committed to the cause from the earliest possible age. But when I traveled to a trendy open plan office in Shoreditch last week to meet startup founder James Routledge, I was faced with a man who
2: claimed he sort of stumbled into it. I never grew up wanting to start my own business. I never really knew what I wanted to do until I went to university in Sheffield and and then I sort of fell into entrepreneurship through meeting George and he was like very entrepreneurial like much more of a classic entrepreneur you know he he was selling watches at university he just i had that thirst for sort of ideas and and was you know more of a classic sort of entrepreneur on paper i think 3 days later me and him are like sitting in our flat together at you know in halls and scheming about what business we would start and
0: what were the ideas um, that fell by the wayside
2: <laughs> we had first started off with the classic idea that every single student has which is an app to help you find tickets to nightclubs uh-huh. so something to do with going out because that's like the only problem you have and the only thing you do so that's like that was the first thing uh that was called that was called night finder and then we had another one i can't remember the name it was like student starts or something like that and that was about you know you have those people in lectures or in your class or whatever that were a really diligent you know, really hard working, they write up all the notes, they do all the revision, they write these great, mass. you know, really highlighted pages of revision and whatnot. Yeah, the people who are actually doing their degrees yeah, the people properly are actually doing the degrees planning properly. business yeah. ideas. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, so we were going to see if those people would <laughs> give their notes to us and we could sell them to everyone else. So like selling other people's notes. For, so, so plagiarism. Yeah. <laughs> Voluntary plagiarism. Volunt- yeah, yeah. These are all just like brainstorm yeah. ideas, so we didn't actually do anything with any of these then we dropped onto the one we actually ran with which was called match chat for some reason we thought it was a problem that it was hard to talk about football online (laughs) or there was no one destination to talk about the match it's obviously looking back that there really is you know there's thousands and thousands of football blogs you've obviously got twitter facebook whatsapp whatever, where people talk about football all day long. But we we decided there wasn't this one central destination to have a conversation around the match. This app or this website would pull in all the statistics around the game, the score, who'd scored. We would pull in all the, the social feeds and tweets and the Facebook comments centralize it around the game
0: okay but you did i guess go looking for a problem you could provide a solution for we did yeah and that was yeah. the best you could come up with at the time yeah we probably, just probably was the best out of the nightclub idea
2: yeah prob- probably probably i mean we were just like you said because we were just looking for something i was so bored at uni i had this thirst to like do something and the six hours contact i had for history and politics wasn't I wasn't getting my fix, basically. So we searched for a problem to solve and a business to start, which I know now is is not really the right way to start a business. You know, you, you want to have a, a passion or a, a problem that's a real pain for you, for you personally that you then go on to solve. But we, we didn't have that. We just wanted to start something, and Match Chat was the thing. You okay, know, that so was the first thing that got there. How did you go about doing that? We did the social network thing and, and met a couple of guys from the computer science department. Who ended up founding the business with us, Stefan and Nabil? And then myself and George just made it our mission, I suppose, to like shout about what we were doing as much as possible and also to the tune of, of raising investment so we could actually take time out to build it and grow this, this huge business that we were going to start.
0: The selling bit I get because yeah. it's relatively easy to put together a press release or put a thing on Facebook saying we're doing this thing, yeah. even when you're 21. Yeah. The investment bit... That takes a certain amount of cockiness, doesn't it, to approach a kind of I guess, grown up and say, give us some of your money. I
2: think I think it was naivety more than sort of arrogance or an ignorance to to our part. We I think because we were so young, we we didn't know how it was supposed to be done. So we just we just fell into it as well. I think it was just about the time in twenty twelve where the startup ecosystem was just starting to move and People in the UK were starting to get excited about how they could invest in the next Facebook or the next Uber. So, did you actually need any money to build it at this stage? Because you probably not. No, no, absolutely not. Looking, you've
0: got IT students
2: at Sheffield yeah, University building look, look, it for you. For looking free. back with hindsight, you know, <laughs> I would. It's not like we spent any money. I had a part-time job at a tapas restaurant. It would have kept that, and then in a spare time, built this little side project. Stayed at university, number six hours a week at, at uni. And just just kept doing it on the side, as opposed to going raising money and dropping out of university and, and going all out, which is which is what we did.
0: So talk me through what those meetings with angel investors were like. You you come down uh, on the train was, from Sheffield to
2: London, presumably mostly. So n- well, no, actually, I, I remember we had this first pitch at the Yorkshire Association of Business Angels, which now just seems hilarious. You know, it's basically a load of old car dealers and a load of sort of like steel manufacturers who we were pitching to. And we were like the youngest there by by an absolute mile. I mean, I remember we met this guy who had this like canal boat business and he was going to put us in touch to his mate who like had just sold some like, yeah, like some manufacturing warehouse or something like that, you know, proper old school bricks and mortar guys. No disrespect to them, but they absolutely didn't understand anything about technology. We were just on top of the world because we just thought it was amazing. You know, we were pitching, we felt like we were on Dragon's Den, it was all new to us, it was so exciting.
0: And you were the vanguard, you were the internet to those people.
2: They probably thought that we could build the next Facebook because they knew so little about technology. But fortunately, actually, we ended up meeting a guy called Lee Strafford. Sheffield based and he'd actually sold an internet business plus net broadbands oh, yeah. to BT. And he'd also gone on to be the chairman of Sheffield Wednesday. It's also a pretty interesting guy and had this football angle. So we went to meet him and managed to get a meeting with him somehow just through like a cold email or something. We ended up going to his house in this like in the country, gorgeous house with an amazing view, and he pretty much gave us like and I'll never forget it to this day, like the birds and the bees chat of how to start a tech business. And we pretty much followed his blueprint exactly. He said, firstly, well done, because you found me. And then he said, you found yourself some techies and some engineers. You're going to get yourself onto an accelerator program. They're going to give you first a little bit of cash to see if you can build something that anyone else will invest in. Then you'll raise a little bit more investment from like a VC, a bigger fund. And then you'll go from there. And he was like, you're probably going to be startup founders or entrepreneurs for the rest of your life now. And you just said that to us and we were sitting we were just came out and we were just pumped we were just like, oh my god we finally met someone who gets it who's who's actually in touch with the tech ecosystem and who understands how this works. Then we basically ended up getting our first 15,000 pounds. But then you went looking for notably
0: larger money from investors. You raised over a million dollars in total.
2: We literally just fell into it. We just pitched this like big vision for some product for the future with a lot of energy and a lot of passion and some people ended up giving us some money. You know, that that is literally how it was.
0: Was it easy? Yeah. Is that because you're good or is it because there was a lot of money floating around? A lot of money floating floating around.
2: Yeah, a lot of money floating around. You know, I'd like to think we presented well, but the business was fundamentally flawed we weren't solving a real problem there was no business model there when we came down to london and we spoke to like real serious angel investors who'd like built and sold their own business you know they cut through it straight away and they were like you haven't got a product here you haven't you know I haven't got a business however we managed to raise money from from people who didn't quite get that
0: so you are ceo of a tech company yeah. at 22 years old you moved to newcastle yeah and you then once you've raised the money, yeah. have to run the business. Yeah,
2: How did that go? We basically ended up pivoting which is a wanky tech term for we changed our, our whole idea because the other one didn't work. <laughs> um, what did you pivot to? So obviously our initial idea was let's, let's create this app to get people to talk about football. Our second ingenious uh, idea was let's create a little bit of software which helps people talk about football and put it where they already are so obviously there's thousands and thousands of like independent football blogs and websites for like newcastle united or leeds fc or the mag or whatever it might be let's give them match chat which will help their community talk more okay so kind
0: of discuss but for it was it
2: was literally discuss it wasn't as good as discuss (laughs) but then you could add your favorite football team i think we had like a couple of hundred football sites using it at one point like 50 million page views a month. So really like, quite a big scale. So that was ex- that added to the ego as well because that was quite exciting. That's another was like, big oh, number, isn't it? That's another big number to stick on your LinkedIn profile. And we were making nice graphs and sending nice investor updates, which which looks like they were going up and to the right. So again, that added to the buzz of the hot young tech guys who are really energetic and really passionate now they've got this graph that's going up and to the right things are happening and we did manage to create some hype around ourselves for a certain amount of time but no money i'm guessing i mean making a little making a little bit of money like a little bit of ad revenue but not profit no god no No. absolutely not no how many people were you employing at our peak we had like six full-time staff and a couple of like consultants. I remember for a period we were burning like, I think we were burning like 25, 30k a month, which was just insane. Now like, we were paying these consultants like so much money. I do not even know what they were doing. Yeah. How did you end up in that situation? The problem with having investors that don't fully understand the space is then they then give you bad advice and you listen to them because you don't fully understand the space. So it's just like this self-fulfilling prophecy, let's call it dumb money then dumb advice, and then dumb strategy, which is pretty much what we did. So we ended up getting in some advisors who, again, followed the same suit as our investors and the other people around us. No tech backgrounds, more of a corporate background, didn't get tech, never started an early-stage company, but for some reason, we thought at the time that they were the right people to, to give us advice. About two years in, we were about to raise a little bit more money to keep us going.
0: How much money were you at at this point?
2: So we'd already raised about 300k and we were going to raise another 250 to give us another like year, 18 months to kind of figure it out. George was going to leave the business as well. You know, he'd sensed that it wasn't going in the right direction. He wanted to leave. I was a little bit more like, you know, I felt a bit more like the captain of the ship sort of thing. I wanted to to either go down with it or, you know, give it one last shot. But I remember having a conversation with this the non exec, a real crossroads of like whether we should take this last bit of money and whether it was right or not. And deep down, I think I knew that it wasn't. But I remember he pretty much told me that I, I didn't want to stop. He was like, "You don't want to stop. I know what you're like. You want to keep going." Which is pretty awful advice. You should never really say that to anyone. You should ask them. You should say, "You know, what do you want to do?" But unfortunately, because he was incentivized by sort of having shares in the business as opposed to being incentivized for my well-being or my welfare or for me as an individual, then I I listened to him and we just carried on.
0: And you as an individual, it seems, got a bit lost there, partly because maybe he'd bought into you as a CEO, you as this young Zuckerberg-type figure.
2: For the whole three years of doing the business, we presented a persona and a facade of who we thought we should be. We acted how we thought we should act, and "should" was defined by the blogs we would read, you know, the TechCrunch articles we would read. And there is an absolute saturation of that in the market. Oh, I mean, isn't it's it? just regurgitated crap. Like it's all the same stuff. It's all the same knowledge, just getting repackaged.
0: So, what's an example of, I guess, a kind of mentor myth that you see repackaged myth. on mm. on TechCrunch? on fast company on those kind of websites that say this is how you should behave as a ceo that actually you think it I is I think bullshit. it's
2: that it's that classic sort of hustle mentality of you know 18 hour days no sleep sell 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 pitch 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 you have to work insanely long hours and everything's a rush and you have to move fast and you have to hustle hard and sell in the the tech startup ecosystem in particular that that culture's dangerous
0: and that success is complete dedication to your cause.
2: Yeah, you know, it's not an overnight success. You have to work for five years, hard graft, and you can't have a relationship. You can't have a family. You have to be solely committed to your, your business. What did your family make of what you were doing? My parents, well, they always did a fantastic job of supporting me. Never said, you know, don't do that, don't do this. They just supported me. You know, I think if I'd have said, I want to leave, you need to be a bin man. I think they would have supported me, to be honest, which is which is amazing but they also did they understand me. it I don't think they understood the business and what I was doing did you share with them that you thought it was a doomed business plan no and that it was built on air <laughs> no no I didn't share with anyone that, that I thought it was doomed really I mean because I just kept up the the front of things are going great so I didn't share with anyone not even family friends anyone like literally anyone
0: so you've got this double life going on. You've got consultants who you're paying to give you advice, but you can't be honest with them about how you actually feel about
2: yeah. it. Yeah. The way I actually see it, it's funny you say double life. When I look back on this period now, I almost see that I had two, like a personality split. I almost had this this front who was trying to be the founder and CEO of this technology company, raising investment. And then there was the real me that was inside very isolated very alone worried about what the future held a little bit lost confused so yeah very much had a double life going on so what did happen in the end we took that money and there was four of us left in the business at this point all moved down to london and said right let's really give this one last shot pretty much and that's, and yeah. we really worked hard for six months. You know, we really went at it. We released loads of great products that were well built, but it got about six months in and nothing had moved. So we went to Brighton for the weekends, and just probably for the first time in a long time, just, you know, really sort of reflected on where we were, what we wanted. But when we came back, my head was a lot clearer and it just clicked for me that it was all wrong. I'd finally just had that moment of like, James, what the fuck are you doing? Within 2 months we we were making moves to to liquidate the company. So within a month after having that sort of moment of euphoria, I would moved out of London. I was living back with my parents. I was doing the odd Skype call in the day with our investors to sort out the liquidation process and and selling off the assets and and that was it. I was sitting on the sofa, heart just pounding, just beating through my chest. Felt very on edge, fidgety, couldn't sit still. You know, palms very sweaty. Felt sick. Turns out that that was that was anxiety. Is this is this sale going to happen? How are we going to do the liquidation? Are people going to hate me? I'm a failure. What do I do now? All this all this stuff. I'm living at home again. All, what am I going to do next? All this stuff going through my head. So I remember at that point, I couldn't really not share with my mum and my parents in particular how I felt. I remember saying, you know, mum, I feel weird. My heart feels like it's pounding. I remember getting my mum to check my pulse. I was like, is, is my, because she's a nurse. She was like, yeah, it's fine. It's like, it feels like it's beating through my chest. She was like, you're probably stressed. I was like, yeah, I think I am. But then I would say like, nah, no, I'm not though. I'm fine. This is, this is, you know, this is the right decision for the business. This is good. You know, I would always put this, still, still selling everything almost, still putting a spin on everything. I was in particularly very stressed out about the the, the conversations I was needing to have with, with our investors. Not six months ago had we told them that we wanted to raise money and six months later we were wanting to give it them back. And it got to the point where I was having panic attacks. So I'd wake up in the middle of the night, heart pounding, sweating. I remember even just Googling my symptoms, sweaty palms, dry mouth, not stomach, panic attacks. I'm googling that symptoms and you know when you google these things a lot of like mental health charities crop up on 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 Google page search and so I remember looking into counseling and therapy still not not told anyone around me I remember looking to go and see a therapist and should being that I don't understand why I would pay sixty quid to talk to someone for an hour it doesn't I don't get it and it, their site was rank like it was like some WordPress dot site or something, you know, that was done in like Times New Roman. I was like, I don't want to go and speak to like, this person.
0: <laughs> That's such a millennial way to decide. I was, to get mental yeah, I was just
2: like, I was like, I can't go and speak to that. It just doesn't feel right.
0: Because you hear a lot, don't you? People say, "Oh, mental health is stigmatised. and I mm. kind of think, is it really? Because you hear so much about it these days, people yeah. are much more open about mental health, and yet what you're describing is. Okay, it might be easier to diagnose, yeah. but you still feel like you're ill. You still feel I, like you need I don't, to don't I don't
2: think what I've just described is the stigma on mental health. I think what I've just described is a complete lack of awareness and understanding and education on what mental health actually is. I didn't know what was going on in my own head or in my own body. If I get a cold and I start to get a blocked nose and a sore throat, I know that's a cold. So I go to the shop and I buy some paracetamol and two litres of orange juice, and I rest, and I, I feel better eventually. If I start to feel anxious and I get sweaty palms and a knot in my stomach and a dry mouth, and I just feel shit, i ain't got a clue what to do. I didn't know what was going
0: on. I meant more that if a lot of mental health charities come up, yeah, there's a feeling that there's something wrong with you rather yes, than yeah, yeah, exactly. This so is a normal
2: thing to. Happen. I didn't want to make. I didn't want to accept internally in my own head that. I was struggling with anxiety or suffering from anxiety because I didn't want to admit that I was suffering and I didn't want to admit that I had a problem or that I was ill or that I was weak. I don't want to say that about myself. I'm not, that's not me. I'm not that kind of person. I don't want to do that. So when I am seeing like charities and, you know, people talking about illness and all this dark, negative, scary stuff, I don't want to admit that and go down that path because then I'm going to think that I'm ill and I don't want to be ill. And basically, I suppose this is a bit of an entrepreneurial trait of a an all or nothing. I then went from speaking to absolutely nobody to then being Mr. Open, Mr. Authentic and Mr. Vulnerable. In 2016, my news resolution was to be more open. So I pretty much went on this rampage of openness and was like, right, I'm going to just tell everyone. <laughs> like how I'm feeling or how I've been feeling and I'm going to tell everyone my story you
0: wrote a blog post didn't you
2: I did so that culminated in February last year of me writing a blog post called Mental Health in Startups it felt like I was coming out but that's how it felt as, as someone who had mental health yeah. and that's how that blog post felt and it was, you know, it was, I'm really proud of that piece. Like it was real raw. It was, it was I think it was well, well written. It's very honest, I read it this it morning. Was, it was very from the heart. What was the reaction from the tech community? Insane. Absolutely insane. My phone was going off for three, for a week straight. Got 500 emails off the back of that post from people I'd never met before. I felt like I'd touched a nerve massively. And I felt like i touched on a real big problem, which basically was this perception of mental health. Was the fact that nobody wants to talk about mental health because it's perceived as weak and finally,
0: you had a problem you were passionate about that needed a solution
2: absolutely, and I'd found a, not just a problem that I'd really passionate about that I'd felt personally you know in in my heart, but a big problem, like a real problem that that had meaning and gravitas to it you know that felt like it was actually going to make a difference, which was everything I'd been searching for.
0: And ultimately, this experience is what then led to your current project. So we're sitting at the moment in the headquarters of your new startup. Yeah. Yes, yeah, uh, which is called Sanctus. Yeah, you're still working with George.
2: I, oh yeah, I am. Yeah,
0: you're wearing the branded sweatshirt as yeah, we speak. Yes, yeah. about
2: that. So I never set out to start a business. Genuinely, and I honestly mean that. You know, hand on heart, I do mean that. I set out on this sort of one man crusade initially to change the perception of mental health from negative to positive with a big vision that one day we might go to a a mental health gym just like we would go to a physical gym so we would train and treat our mental health just like we do our physical health so one day I just had this vision that was just like right I want to put a mental health gym on the high street a place where we receive coaching we do meditation we do workshops on our mental health, just like we would go to the gym and lift weights to get bigger biceps or get a six-pack. A place
0: that doesn't feel like you're seeing a therapist or a charity.
2: Absolutely not. A place that feels, again, a place that you're proud to go. It feels normal, it feels relatable, it feels accessible. You know, you feel strong from going there. You don't feel weak. It's empowering, it's liberating.
0: And whilst you're building up momentum, you've been doing some mentoring yourself. When you talk to people who remind you of you, what's the one thing you really, really want to get into there
2: oh good question I, d- I don't know what to do or what to say when you see someone going down a path that you think that they shouldn't go down because unfortunately I think humans learn best when they get hurt and I think for me I don't know but my guess is that if two years ago you'd have sat me down and you said James this is going to happen you're going to burn out you're not working on the right thing, you're not passionate about this, I don't think I'd have listened to you. And I think I needed I think I think needed to learn. I think I needed to go through that pain myself to learn. And unfortunately, I think a lot of people do. Um, hopefully, if by talking about mental health more and making it more mainstream and making it a bigger part of the conversation, you will prevent people from having to get hurt because it will be more widely publicized and be more talked about. And that will relate to the people who are starting businesses like myself. Um, So hopefully by the conversation being more mainstream, you will stop uh, people just burning out like I did. It's very hard for me to look someone in the eye and say, you're wrong. And the way you're living your life is not right. People don't respond very well to that. They just get defensive.
0: No, it's just giving them an environment where they can come to that realization themselves.
2: Absolutely. Which is what Sanctus is trying to do.
0: James Routledge and if you'd like to find out more about what Sanctus is trying to do uh, why not subscribe to James's weekly newsletter it comes out every Tuesday all the best things do uh, and you can subscribe to that at sanctus.io it's time to get hot sweaty intimate and informed with Alex Fox. Hello, Alex.
1: Hello, Ollie Man. How are you today?
0: I'm okay, thank you. Yeah, not bad at all. Uh, you have recently moved house in your actual life.
1: I have in my actual life. So I have I've moved house, but I've not yet unpacked. So I'm living in a highly flammable kind of cardboard fort. <laughs> I, I feel like I'm sleeping inside a game of Tetris at the moment. There are just that many boxes and a heck of a lot of bags of dicks.
0: Well, this was the question I was going on to ask you: is when you move house? I mean, it's a strange. Stressful experience for anyone. But I do imagine, I mean in all seriousness, just a truckload of sex toys.
1: I had to hire a kink friendly removals guy. Hello, Jake Evans, thank you very much for your help.
0: How did you find him?
1: Uh, through friends, through friends, okay. he's actually. There's not uh, a
0: social network for that.
1: N- well, only other than my personal social network, um, he's a friend of one of the guys who does the set up and take down for uh, events like Torture Garden and other sex parties. Uh-huh. So he's used to having a truck full of fuck. Um, <laughs> <laughs> At one stage during the move, a big bag. The zip on it did actually break, and it had inside a bone-shaped gag from a shoot I did with people who like pet play who uh-huh. pretend to be dogs part of their sex lives. Loads of different canes and paddles and all sorts of things. It was the worst possible box that could have broken, but thankfully because I'd chosen You'd gone to a specialist. Yeah.
0: Uh, Anyway, new listeners uh, have probably got to grips with what this is already. Uh, This is the bit of the show called The Foxhole where we talk about sex baby uh, in the form of your listener questions. Sponsored I'm very proud to say for this series again by our friends at mycondom.com
1: they stock a really wide range of sometimes quite hard to get your hands on condoms so if you need a particular size if you want something that comes with or without a certain type of lubricant or you're after a more unusual flavor that's a good place to shop
0: example of an unusual flavor marshmallow you cannot buy that in boots
1: shall we get down to the nitty-gritty of bottoms fronts and bitties
0: i thought you were going to go titty
1: Well, I thought I'd mix things up for you, Ollie. (laughs) It's
0: another joy of this section for new listeners is uh, Alex's puns. Our question of the week is from Scott, who says, I'm 43 years old and I have a pretty regular life. I work, have friends and do all the normal stuff. However, I am single, have always been and I'm a virgin.
1: Oh, OK.
0: I've never had a proper girlfriend. Now, I know you might be thinking I'm some sort of weirdo. We weren't thinking that, were we, Alex?
1: No, not at all. In fact, it's more common than you'd expect.
0: Okay, well, that's sort of the nature of his question. Uh, He says, from the age of puberty onwards, I've done the usual thing, school, A-levels, university, graduate job, gradually moved on to be a professional engineer. I'm not sure why that's relevant. Um, (laughs) In all that time, I've met many women. I suppose that's how it's written. Yeah, I think think
1: he's just trying to say I'm not a complete loser in life. You know, I have lots to offer. I'm, I'm functioning brilliantly in all other aspects of my existence. Yes,
0: there I was in an office environment, and yet I never got my leg over. I'm straight, healthy, decently educated, reasonably normal looking, and good company. I regularly masturbate. But, he says, when it comes to getting close or intimate with a woman, I shit myself and bottle it. Uh, I don't think he means that literally (laughs)
1: sounds like he's actually crapping into a receptacle There's your problem, my darling (laughs) Uh,
0: This has always been the way from when I was about 16 The longer I've left it, the more pressure it's put on me So the more I bottle my feelings All my friends have had many relationships and are now married with kids I feel like an oddball, I think they must view me that way And I've always thought by now I'd have a family with kids But that seems a really long way off So am I unusual? Is this unusual? Are there many like me out there? And is there any way I can be helped? Now, this is interesting, Alex. He says, maybe I should get the first fuck out the way, but going to a prostitute or escort isn't really me. He's jumped straight in there for a suggestion that possibly you wouldn't have come up with, but I guess people have probably said to him at that age, you know, go to a prostitute.
1: That is one suggestion that I imagine a lot of people make. I want to take this from the top, though. First of all, I'm really sorry that this listener feels this way about the situation in which they find themselves. But just to reassure them, it's really not as unusual as you might imagine. Now, it's difficult to get an exact figure on how many adult virgins there are in the world because uh, not so many studies have been done um, and also people tend to fib about this type of thing. But there was a study in 2009 that was published in the Journal of Sexual Medicine which suggested that up to 5% of men uh, and 2% of women were actually remained virgins between the age of 25 to 45. So that's more people than than you might assume.
0: But maybe it's not that surprising that if you get to that kind of age, 25, that you're going to get to 45 without losing your virginity. I mean, maybe that's the point. A, A lot of people, I suppose do wait until their early 20s but by your 40s i guess it's wrong to say something's going wrong but equally it's right to say not everything's going right.
1: Obviously there are people who decide not to have sex for religious or spiritual reasons or they'll decide to abstain from having intercourse or indulging in sexual play uh, until they've met a life partner. If, as in the situation that our listener has described here, you would really dearly love to meet somebody and have that kind of intimacy but it's bypassing you for some reason, then that is obviously regrettable. Uh, And as he's gone through in his letter, it, it just seems like a little bit of bad luck really you know he seems like a nice guy he is flirting with women it's just never gone as far as he'd like and of course the longer that scenario continues the more the pressure intensifies and it feels like a big deal.
0: Yeah and I wonder how much of that is in his head because he's still talking about getting the first fuck out the way but actually if you're targets of affection are women your age they might have come out of a marriage with a couple of kids by this age to be honest it might be that they'd be very grateful for some affection as well you might not have to try as hard as when you were trying to get a 21 year old
1: sure i can imagine that some women actually might really relish the idea of turning back the clock in a way if you will and starting all over again with someone who doesn't have a lot of experience because then you get the the wonderful opportunity of learning together and and maybe a lot of those women would find that lovers their age usually would want to race straight into sex and that wouldn't be something they want that's probably one thing that uh, our chap here should reassure himself with, he speaks about feeling behind in life because he doesn't have a partner and he hasn't begun a family yet at least as a guy there's less of a time pressure there than if you're a woman mm. uh, in, on the basis of fertility. So that's one thing to chill out about. But we still haven't really got on to the idea of whether he should get the first fuck out of the way, as he puts it, or, yeah. or, or really how to improve his circumstances and help him meet someone what i would maybe suggest is going to a if this is something that appeals to him going to a sex surrogate uh, the official word for which is a um, psychosexual somatic therapist
0: i i'm staggered that anyone has that on their passport but i want to know more
1: uh, well the word somatic means relating to touch so it's basically a sex therapist who will actually touch you with your consent and allow you to touch them I uh, have actually got a few friends who work in this field who I met through doing an interview for Marie Claire a while ago and I found their jobs absolutely fascinating. Yeah. There's a dear friend of mine called uh, Mike Lusada who does this. Don't I don't think he offers full-sex surrogacy anymore, but I know there's a guy in the UK called Kian LaCour who does it, a lovely one called Katie Sarah. Uh, there's There's actually quite a few people offering this service what a sex surrogate will do is basically act like someone to practice on uh, sexually. But they often work in what's called a triad relationship. There's three people. So there's the client, our our older virgin. There's the uh, somatic therapist who's going to be doing the touching. And then there's also a psychotherapist, someone who will speak through your feelings both before and after those touching sessions. It's a very guided, gentle, non-pressured way with real, no real-world repercussions, if you will, you know, no-one's going to get upset, no, it, yes. it's a way of going through those physical things without the fear that you might encounter or the problems you might encounter with a, a standard partner.
0: But he, I mean I don't know how to, to use teenage parlance, I don't know to which base he got, but he says he's got to the stage before where he's interactive with women and then bottled it it might be that he has touched a woman before, what he's talking about is penetrative sex and, and do they offer that?
1: Some somatic therapists do offer penetrative sex, yeah. Well, wow. Presumably not with the third offer, person in the room though. No, no, the, sorry to, to to clarify the th- the third person, the therapist is never in the room, you have separate sessions with them, so that to make sure that you feel mentally okay about what's happening as you go go along. Because as you've said, a lot of the problems here are likely to be in this person's mind. It's not just a physical, not just a bodily issue that we have here. It's about confidence. It's about perhaps breaking down some of the situations he's found himself in historically, which are maybe haunting him when when the time comes with new partners. You know that are spooking him out. I would really encourage looking into that. If you want to find a reliably trained psychosexual somatic therapist, there's actually an association called ASIS. They're the Association of Somatic and Integrative Sexologists. Integrative meaning uh, combining several therapies. One word of warning is... It's not cheap, as you can imagine, but often these therapists work on a sliding scale. So if our listener is someone who doesn't have a whole lot of cashish, he still may be able to get this kind of help at an affordable price.
0: That is absolutely fascinating.
1: Other than that, all I can really say is keep meeting people, keep talking to people and try and find ways of uh, feeling more confident and less nervous. But at this point in his life, it does sound like uh, a little bit of additional support there might be might hurry the process along yeah you know
0: i agree uh, if you have a question for next week's edition of the foxhole we would love to hear it
1: take your hand off your dick put on your mouse and click
0: do wash your hands first
1: hygiene always top of the list uh, head over to n.co.uk and click on the feedback form to send me your questions
0: and if you've been inspired to buy yourself some discount contraceptives we cannot recommend highly enough our friends at mycondom.com but we have a special discount code for you when you get to the checkout
1: type in foxhole f-o-x-h-o-l-e and you'll get a whole 15% off
0: And with that, another season premiere of The Modern Man has nearly reached an end. If you enjoyed it, please do support the show by buying us a beer. Just click Beer Money on our website, or by posting us a review. That's free at itunes.com slash M-A-N-N. Every review on iTunes helps us gain visibility, climb the charts, attract more listeners, and of course, it gives you the thrill of potentially becoming a ambassador. Dobbo in Vietnam uh, claims we stole his idea for a podcast. But anyway, Dobbo, you did so in the form of a five star review on iTunes. So I am honoured to anoint you, Man Ambassador for Vietnam. Congratulations. Our theme music is by Django Django from their debut album. Go and listen, it's lovely. And this is the new track by German singer Drangsal. Sal. It's called Alan Aline and it's out now on Caroline Records. I've been Ollie Mann, the producer, Matt Hill we'll see you next Tuesday.